Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Podcast. My name is Sam Mann and I am your podcast host. The Unshakable Podcast is an extension of Unshakable Ministries, where our goal is to educate, equip, encourage, and empower Christ followers to live the life that Christ expects us to live. Ways that you can find us on social media, if you will go over to Facebook and search Unshakable Podcast, you will find us there. On Twitter, our username is unshakable underscore one. And on Instagram, our username is unshakable underscore podcast. Ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. If you are listening this morning, we thank you for tuning in to the Unshakable Podcast. You are now a part of the Unshakable Nation. Other ways that you can become a part is if you will check your show notes right there in your podcast app, just scroll up just below the episode description you will see links to other ways you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. But as always, the primary way that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation is through your prayers. We ask that you add Unshakable Ministries to your prayer list and just continue to lift us up that we would be sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and being obedient to the teachings of Christ that we may impact the world one life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For feedback, questions, comments, topics, anything that you want to bring up, you can send that over to sam at unshakableministries.com. If you're listening and you like and enjoy what you are hearing, you enjoy the teachings that are included in this podcast, we ask that you just take a moment and just share the podcast with one friend today. Just one friend, that's all that we ask that you would do that. Again, our goal is to reach the world, impact the world one life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the truth of God's word. So this morning, guys, we're going to dive into something. You know, if you've been listening for any amount of time, you know that we've been going through the teachings of Jesus Christ in Matthew. However, this morning, we're going to jump out of that for just a little bit because I want to cover a very interesting topic. It's a topic that has become very popular here lately. And I want to bring this up, and it is something that I have brought up in previous episodes, but I want to go a little bit more in depth. Many of you know what my stance is with God and government. You know how I feel about this, but I want to bring something up this morning. And, and again, I want to dive in to God's word, and I want to dive into this topic with an exposition coming directly from Scripture so that we can get a better understanding of some things directly from the Word. Now again, there is no judgment involved in this. I am not going to argue with people about this. I'm not going to lose friendships over this. If you choose to walk away, that that is on you. But I'm always open to a civil discussion based on some of these things so that maybe together we can expose the truth of what Scripture says. But the question is this morning, can we be active and participatory citizens of any worldly kingdom as Christians? Because it has been said that Christ followers have a dual citizenship. Now, this is something that's been taught in the church, that we have a dual citizenship or that we are members of two different kingdoms, one kingdom being the kingdom of God and the other kingdom being that place in which you reside here in this world. However, this biblical teaching has to be exposed for what it is. In, in the way that I read scripture, this is a false biblical teaching. It is a false contextual teaching. This is a, 
nationalistic theology that resides very heavily here in the United States. And this is as if to say that a Christian, not only as a Christian, not only do we have a civic responsibility, but also a moral Christian obligation to participate, support, and fully obey all things government. And we know where this teaching comes from. If, if you've been listening to my show for any amount of time, I've mentioned these verses in Scripture multiple times, but this nationalistic theology that is very heavily taught in the United States comes directly from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. That's the main reference point for this theology. But here's the thing. There's very little scripture that is ever used that will fully bring this teaching from Romans into its full context. Now, as I've mentioned, I grew up in the church, which is honestly where I learned that our love can be split in the life of a Christ follower. I want you to understand that my current stance is not a stance that I have been in for a long period of time. It's not something that I came up with early in my Christian walk. This is something that I came to the revelation of in the past two years. And I, this is a topic that I continue to study. I continue to go through scripture. But you have to understand that you can't just strictly bring Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, read those and state that that is the way that it is without bringing a full context of those verses. So, as I said, I learned that our love could be split between the two kingdoms as a Christ follower. You can love God and country as long as you put God first. And that sounds extremely easy in theory. However, at some point... In this theology, you have to love one more than the other. And the crazy thing is, is typically when it comes to the life of a Christ follower, country takes that priority. At some point, the kingdoms split. At some point, they don't see eye to eye, which means that in order for you to be involved in country, in government, whether it be voting or serving in government, at some point, your love is split and one takes priority over the other because they don't line up scripturally, biblically. So that would mean that you have to set God aside temporarily in order to love your country. Why? Because to make a choice in this world like who to vote for, you have to compromise biblical godly standards set for all Christ followers. And I think Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He, or verse 24, I'm sorry. No one can serve two masters. That means neither you or I can possibly serve the government interest as well as godly interest. They are two different kingdoms and their priorities are divided. We know that the kingdom of God's priority is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to go therefore into all the world. This is not the government's priority. So in order for you to be involved in government, you have to set God aside in order to do that because they're two totally di different kingdoms with two different priorities, with two different missions. The question is always asked, but what if we're voting based on godly interest? Look, truthfully, this is an age-old justification for choosing the lesser of two evils. As I mentioned the other day in a Facebook post, the truth of it is, is most Christians are not voting for someone as much as they're voting against someone. But to choose the lesser of two evils, and I, I heard this the other day, 
that remember when we're voting for a president, we're not voting for a pastor. And hey, wholeheartedly, this is true. This is true. But the thing about it is, is by voting, you're choosing the lesser of two evils, which means you're still voting for evil. A lesser evil is still evil. And I've mentioned this before in the in the podcast. For most evangelicals, they stand behind the candidate that speaks of being pro-life. But listen, what if I were to tell you it is all a farce? How many people have been voted into office since Roe v. Wade that were pro-life, quote-unquote pro-life in word, yet nothing has changed? Also, how many of these candidates spoke of being pro-life and then deployed troops to go and take life? Now, wait a minute. Sam, what's your stance on war? Well, my stance on war is strictly biblical. Well, what about the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament, you want to go over here and say where God said. God specifically told people in the Old Testament to go and do these things. We see in the New Testament that doesn't happen. And we also see the teachings of Jesus when he says to love your enemy. And then you go over into Romans chapter 12. Now understand, Romans chapter 12 is before Romans chapter 13, which will give you a better context of Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7. That the Christian is to not only love their enemy, but is to pray for them is to feed them and to give them something to drink. So Sam, what is your stance on war? My stance on war is that a Christian should have no involvement in war. No involvement in war. So how many of these men have been elected, whether it be to the Senate, to Congress, or to as president, who claim to be pro-life, and yet they have deployed troops in to take life? But Sam, these people attacked our country. Isn't it biblical to be able to go to war? For a Christ follower, absolutely not. As I just mentioned, read Romans chapter 12, right toward the end of the chapter. Love your enemies, give them something to eat, give them something to drink. Vengeance belongs to God, and we as his ambassadors in this world should have no part in such events. And did I also mention that Jesus said to love your enemies and to pray for them? So I am fully convinced that through Romans 13, though Romans 13 is a calling to believers to subject themselves to governing authorities, what this looks like is completely different than what is being taught. And I hear pastors all the time saying that we have to choose the candidate that most, quote, unquote, closely represents our views. Well, in order to do this, you have to lower the standard and compromise biblical standards. I've also heard evangelicals make the statement that we are not voting for a pastor, as I just mentioned. And again, that's true. We're not voting for a pastor, but that doesn't change the expectations for a Christ follower. There are clear biblical standards that are set up. So what about Romans 13? To apply the principle as it is taught from the pulpit, quote, Christians must fall in line with governing authorities To rebel against that, you are rebelling against God, end quote. In essence, you're speaking with a forked tongue if you believe this. Why? Because if you're going to apply this to American Christians, it must be applied across the board. Now, I believe what Romans 13 says. Let's let's read that really quick. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath, listen, on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So first, let's take a look at verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Listen. I think we can all agree that Paul was specifically speaking to Roman citizens in these verses. We can also probably agree that he is instructing believers to be subject to governing authorities. However, what's missed so often is the next part of verse 1, and it's commonly taught out of context. There is no authority except from God. This means governing authorities only have authority as it pertains to what God has allowed. And at no time are they given absolute authority. They have no authority outside that which God has defined. Are they ordained by God? Well, it depends on how you define the word ordained. According to the Greek word used here in Romans 13, Paul was referring to being set up in an orderly manner. And we also know that God is a God of order, not chaos. So when you look at our current government or any government in the world, would you consider that to be orderly? When I watch the news, I certainly see nothing but chaos within our government, and I wholeheartedly believe it will only get worse. Therefore, who are looking at verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Well, if government is granted authority, but that authority can only come from God, then what should Christians do? First, it is our responsibility to be able to discern authority that oversteps what God grants. The only way to do that is by studying the scripture to understand why government was given any authority at all. Government authority has very strict limits over God's people. Why? Because our standards are not set by laws of the land. We are not governed by laws of the land. We are governed by God when we are led by the Spirit of God. Does that mean that we don't have to obey certain laws? Absolutely not. But we understand that our ultimate governing authority is the Spirit of God. It is God who works in the heart of His people leading us to obedience. That means when government oversteps its God-given authority over Christ followers, we are not called to submit to such authority. God granted the government authority for a purpose as we're about to see in these next few verses. Verses three through four. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. 
for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now listen, the sole purpose for the authority that is given to government is to punish the evildoers. You can find further evidence of this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is the only reason government was set up. It was set up to punish the evildoers. Government was never granted the authority to determine what good and evil is. They don't get to decide what good and evil is through legislative action. That's outside. That oversteps their God-given authority. So he only set it up in order to follow his standard of good and evil. When government steps outside that role and assumes the role of God and determines by legislative action what is good and what is evil, they are overstepping their authority. This is precisely where civil disobedience comes in. We can quietly and peacefully stand against such edicts. In verse six, in verses 6 and 7, we see, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now listen, I have my own opinions about paying taxes in a quote-unquote free society, but this isn't about my opinion. As long as taxes are in place, they are to be paid and not withheld. This is a direct command from Scripture. Does that mean that we have to agree with them? Not at all, but we are called to pay them. Again, here's the thing. There comes a point where there can be civil disobedience. You can only tax a person to a certain point to where they no longer have enough money to take care of their family. And I believe this is where civil disobedience comes in. But here's the thing. When we start talking about this, and I've heard it taught that we have, as Christians, a dual citizenship. I want to make it very clear as we just went through Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, and I hope that you gathered some context out of that. What about dual citizenship? There is no such thing for a Christ follower. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, it says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So when you look at those verses, once we were nothing, but now we are God's. And becoming a child of God does something to you. It transforms you and gives you a home. You are no longer wandering in the wilderness and God has adopted you into his family. In essence, as Paul says, we are now citizens of heaven. We as believers are considered to be sojourners and exiles in this world, no matter your country. Why? Because our citizenship has changed. We have one kingdom and only one king that we are loyal to. We serve him and him alone without delay, and it cannot be done with split loyalty. A sojourner or exile is not a citizen. When you look at those words, it is not a citizen. It, they are a foreigner, 
a foreign alien. We are foreigners in this world. This is what the Bible teaches. And if and I find it interesting that it specifically says to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So tell me, why you vote the way you vote? Is it strictly pro-life and religious freedom? Or have you added some of your own personal selfish reasons as well? Now listen to this. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As I just said, Paul says right here, our citizenship is in heaven. But Sam, we're also living in this world. Yes, I understand. And Christ said we are in this world, but not to be of this world. And that word citizenship right here, it specifically refers to our political situation, our political status. That's what the word citizenship means right there. The Greek word is polytuma. You heard what the first part was, poly, P-O-L-I, political status. But our political status is in heaven. So how do we continue to set our mind on earthly things when he says right here that their God is their belly? The word belly right there is referring to their inward parts, their heart. Their end is destruction because their God is their heart and they glory in their shame, in their deceitfulness, in their lies. They glory in these things. They glory in untruth. Paul then goes on to tell us that our citizenship is in heaven and he doesn't say in heaven and America. Nowhere in scripture do we read of a dual citizenship. As a matter of fact, Jesus even makes it clear to the disciples that we, as I said a second ago, are in this world, not of this world. Furthermore, he tells Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world because if it was, his people would rise and fight for him. And this is exactly why Jesus told Peter to put away his sword. That was the old way. But now Jesus makes all things new. So what is the bottom line? As I mentioned earlier, if you're going to apply this teachings of Romans 13 to Christians in the United States, it must be applied across the board to all Christians in all countries across the globe. So why does this theology not hold validity? Because in order for you to hold that as valid and apply that to Christians today in the United States, that means the United States is, in fact, an illegitimate country. The forefathers of this country rebelled against the governing authority who was over them, which was the king at the time, because of what? Unfair taxes and unfair treatment and what they considered to be their freedoms. This is why the forefathers rebelled against the king, the governing authorities. So if you're going to apply Romans 13 to American Christians today, then you have to apply it to the forefathers as well. And that 
makes this country illegitimate, thus making the Constitution of the United States null if Romans 13 is to be applied in this way. Now let me ask you, how many Christians died in the Revolutionary War on both sides of that battle? Christian fighting against Christian. Is this what God intended for us to kill one another? Absolutely not. Because as I said, you see the end of Romans 12 makes it very clear how we are to act as Christ followers. And this is right before Romans 13. What I'm saying is this. If as a Christian, I am supposed to love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me, how then can I consciously vote for someone that might bring about war? How can I call myself pro-life if in fact the person that I'm voting for holds the power to take life? And if we read scripture, we have to fully understand that scripture teaches that Satan is the ruler of this world. If you read 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says, The God, little g, of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So if Satan is the ruler of this world, that probably means he has a pretty firm grasp on the government. We don't know if the person we are voting for is even a believer. So how can we know for sure they aren't being used by the evil one to deceive the believers? Remember, Satan and his demons come as angels of light. Have we forgotten that? Listen, I've said this before. Trump does not have the character of a believer to even make me comfortable wondering if he has my best interest in mind as a Christ follower. So I hear all of these Christians talking about if we don't vote Trump, then we're going to lose religious freedom. And, and, and we're going to go to full-blown abortion. But guys, I mean, honestly, look at Trump's character. He can say he's pro-life all day long, but the truth of it is he has no problem sending troops into war, into battle, into needless wars, I might add. And we're losing the lives of soldiers in our country. And people around the world are losing their lives, our enemies whom we're supposed to love as Christians. So he doesn't even have the character of a believer. Nor can we trust that he has our best interests in mind as Christ followers. Words are empty. And quite honestly, if you're going the pro-life or religious freedom route in that decision, you probably haven't been paying attention over the last few years and especially the last few months. And we know certainly Joe Biden isn't even in the ballpark with Christian standards. So when Jesus told Peter to put away his sword, we cannot miss what this represents. Peter believed wholeheartedly that he was right in the way he handled that situation in the garden that night. After all, he was showing loyalty to his king. But Jesus was making it known that we do not fight with the tactics of this world when doing kingdom work. If you were to replace the word sword when Jesus said, put away your sword with vote, how would you take that? Voting is a tactic touted by evangelicals as a way to combat evil. Do you really believe your vote is restraining evil? I've mentioned this in other episodes. I firmly believe, based on 2 Thessalonians 2, 6-7, through 7, the Holy Spirit is the one who restrains evil. God is the only one who can grant Satan his authority and power and tell him how far he can go in things he does. 
So if God alone holds that authority, then God alone can restrain him. We can't. The only thing that matters here is sharing the gospel. That is why the Holy Spirit is restraining the evil one. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is being patient with the church right now. And quite honestly, we are so distracted with politics and government and that we are not even sharing the gospel. The work of the church is not done inside the walls of a building or a voting booth. It is done by going and doing in the lives of those who desperately need Jesus. And listen, a divided focus makes you unstable in all your ways. A divided loyalty is not loyalty to Christ at all. So today, choose which kingdom will you serve. For one cannot serve two masters. Listen, this is to be continued. But I want you to listen to these words today. Go back and listen to them again and again and again and pick up your Bible and study. Listen, you don't have to agree with me and that's okay. There is no judgment that is going to be passed on someone if they choose to go a different route. If you choose to participate in the voting process, there is no judgment. But I am begging the Christ follower. I am imploring you to pick up your Bible and study what our mission is. We have only one master, only one king, and our loyalty needs to be to him and to him alone. Father, teach us the truth of your word. Convict us where we are wrong. Change us where we need to be changed. God, let us be about your mission. We are your soldiers. Let us be good soldiers for you. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, direct us to be obedient in every way, even when it is unpopular. Jesus, thank you for what you have done, the way that you have provided for repentance through your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you for making intercession on our behalf for those that call upon your name. God, make us unstoppable as a church. Let us be rooted firmly in Christ and become unshakable. We will give you the glory, you the honor, and you the praise. In Christ's name. Guys, I love you, and until next time, remain unshakable.